The second reading is from Ephesians chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. He made the two groups one by destroying the wall of hostility that divided them when he abolished the law of commandments and regulations in his flesh. He did this to create in himself one new person out of the two, in this way making peace. And he did this to reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by putting the hostility to death on it. He also came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. You have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you too are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. O Lord, have mercy on us. Today we are taking up the topic of peace. It's kind of hard to grasp the meaning of that word. The dictionary says that peace is the absence of disturbance, and so a synonym of peace would be tranquility. Another meaning that the dictionary gives is that peace is the opposite of war or conflict. I don't have a problem with these definitions. They're definitely getting at the meaning of the word, but I think they're missing quite a lot. We have drugs, for example, that are called tranquilizers. They make people calm. They make people sleepy. They take away anxiety. But those who have been tranquilized aren't living life to the full. The fullness of life is, in fact, too much for them. And so life has purposely been turned down. If tranquilizers were peace, all that would be needed to achieve peace would be pills and injections. The absence of war also isn't a good enough definition. Our country has engaged in many wars for the last 75 years, followed by so-called peace but that has not brought about too much goodness either here at home or those lands that we've invaded and bombed. I doubt that any definition, any dictionary definition of peace is really going to be good enough because peace is a very broad thing. It really touches on the stuff of life itself, and so therefore it is also a very religious thing. Peace is only going to come together with God. There's no way that you're going to have peace without God. And that's not to say, though, that we haven't tried that very thing, to achieve peace without God. Think about where people's minds have been for at least the length of my lifetime, probably longer. We've heard, have we not, that it's the economy, stupid, 
politicians are to blame for the economy not working right. And if we elected somebody else, well, then the economy is going to change. And then we'll be at peace. Or maybe it's not the economy. Maybe it's fixing people's backwards morals. Or, on the other hand, fixing people's progressive morals. Think of how many billions of dollars get spent every election cycle, ostensibly to attain peace, but really just so that people can scream at each other, and then when everything is said and done, the same kinds of people get elected over and over again, regardless of the party. Lately, I think a lot of people are starting to think this really isn't working. Yes, it hasn't been working, and it can't work. Peace cannot be had without God. Every attempt to manufacture peace without him is doomed to fail. The Bible bears this out with countless examples of failing to achieve peace. Right at the beginning, the fig leaves didn't take away the shame. The bushes didn't keep you hidden from God. And the wandering murderer, Cain, and his descendants built cities, and they, they, invent, they discovered all kinds of inventions that didn't give them peace. That's not to say it didn't give them anything, though. These things and all our other endeavors are capable of giving us something of a high. Tax rebates and stimulus checks. They give us something. You feel something. Political victories give us something, but not peace. This is even true of that which can bring us the closest to peace, but cannot quite get there. This is even true of the endeavor to keep God's law and regulations. God's laws and regulations are really good ideas, really good. I can guarantee anyone and everyone who would keep God's Ten Commandments that they will always, without fail, be better blessed by keeping them. That's a 100% promise. On the other hand, I can always, without fail, guarantee that you'll be worse off by breaking them. This is always true 100% of the time. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. In fact, before I tell you how this cannot bring peace, let me just mention that God's commandments, though, are 100% despised by the worldly wise. Everybody complains about our problems, and everybody has his or her own solutions to those problems, and it usually involves a problem with somebody else. Somebody else has got to change their attitude. Somebody else has got to change their ways. They've got to cough it up. Never me. And yet, nobody believes that our misery, our collective misery, is because we break God's commandments. People just don't believe that. Nobody believes that we're suffering so intensely because we're not honoring our fathers and our mothers and other authorities. Nobody believes that we should love our enemy or that we shouldn't love money. 
Nobody believes that we should be faithful to the one, one, one man or one woman that God has given. And we could go on with the Ten Commandments. Neither Democrats nor Republicans nor anybody else in the upper echelons of power talk about this because they couldn't. If they did, they'd be laughed at. They'd be laughed at for being beyond foolish, beyond impractical. But even if we dared, despite the mean things that get said about it, even if we dared to strive to keep God's commandments, we still couldn't arrive at peace thereby. We know this from history, too. Occasionally, very occasionally, God blessed his Israelites so that they kept his law and commandments pretty well. But even then, that was not yet peace. So, what is peace? If none of these efforts bring peace, if God's own commandments can't bring peace, then where is peace to be found? The answer is a pretty profound statement in our second reading that's, that's easy to skip over and miss. Paul says, Jesus himself is our peace. There you have the answer. Jesus himself is our peace. All efforts toward peace apart from God are always going to be fake, and it's just going to leave you looking for the next high, and even keeping the law and the Ten Commandments can't do it. But Jesus, though, is different. Jesus himself is our peace. So how is Jesus our peace? Paul makes it clear that this is through Jesus' death. He says the law of commandments and regulations were abolished in his flesh. We are reconciled to God and to one another through the cross. Hostility was put to death on the cross. Now, you know how we are reconciled to God by the cross. I often speak to you about that, and you know that. Tonight I'd like to highlight something that doesn't get talked about as much, and that is that Jesus' cross is also the way that we as people may have peace with one another. Jesus' cross makes peace with God. Jesus' cross also makes peace with one another. And the rationale for how that goes is like this. When Christ died, all died. And since all died, all were guilty. And since all were guilty, we're all in the same boat. In our reading, it is clear that what Paul has in mind is the Jews and the Gentiles. And it is highly offensive for Jews to be tossed into the same bucket as Gentiles. Jews at least somewhat knew God. And Jews at least somewhat kept the law. They tried at least not to do the obviously horrible, blatant sins of the Gentiles. They were different, you see. And since they're different, they wanted to build a wall between them and those who were not like them. Walling themselves off gave them some peace. They got something of a high when they thought about how they were better. Against this, we must say, however, that that's not peace. Jesus himself is our peace. 
History shows that every walled-off compound deceives itself with hypocrisy and imaginary superiority. No organization, no matter how high they build the walls, can truly attain peace. Not even God's own God-given laws and regulations in the Old Testament could give peace. There's only one option for peace. Jesus himself is our peace. We are all tossed into the same bucket by Jesus' death. Jesus died for all, therefore all have sinned. Jesus rose from the dead, therefore we all have the same standing, the same justification before God, which is Jesus' own righteousness. So it's quite silly for us to make distinctions between one another. We've all been tossed into the same bucket. We're all lost and dead in our trespasses and sins. That's the bucket that we're in. But we've all been made alive together with Christ. All people are brought together in perfect unity, both by the death as well as the resurrection of Jesus. We are all brought together in who we are. Jesus' death shows that we are all sinners. And Jesus' resurrection shows us that we're all forgiven sinners. Our condemnation is all the same carried out on the cross, and our hope is all the same. That hope being, because Jesus lives, we will live also. It is so common for people to believe that they are superior to others. We have the right kind of job, and we, have the, we eat the right food, and we have the right skin color, and we have the right education program, and we have the right politics, and what have you. But then there's others who also believe that they have the right this, and the right that, and the right other. And so then what do you have? You have to fight to see who's right. And maybe you even need to do a little ethnic cleansing or a little cancel culture to make sure that your team stays on top. What you don't often find is people racing for the bottom. You don't find people arguing for why they should really be seen as worse than other people. Even among us Christians who should know better. It's almost as though Christ didn't need to die for everything about us. It's as though there's some reserved good parts that were just fine, didn't need the cross. However, in fact, thoughts and feelings like that are worse sins than murder or adultery. They are sins against grace. They are sins against the Holy Spirit, the preacher of grace. If you don't want to take your place together with the other sinners in that one and common bucket of sinners, then you don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Jesus, then, is not your peace. Your own way of life, evidently, is your peace. You'll do it your way. Time will tell, of course, whether such a hypocritical, selective, and shoddy peace will manage to hold up. As for you, if you will be sensible, Jesus himself is your peace. 
Jesus came to preach peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Through Jesus, we all have the same access to the same Father by the same Holy Spirit. Your peace is with God because he has made that peace. And so you may be at peace with others because we're all made from the same stuff. We're all alike. And we were all redeemed the very same way in the one Lord Jesus Christ. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.